1: pulpit
0: podcast all right hello everybody and welcome to the pat's pulpit podcast week three is in the books and To say it was an eventful week three would be the understatement of the year, (laughs) because a whole lot happened, not only around the NFL that blew your mind, but within this Patriots-Ravens game that blew your mind. Um, No point sugarcoating it. We may as well get right into it. I will do the perfunctory greeting, and hello, Rich Hill. Hope you're doing well, buddy. Hello. Um, Hello. (laughs) Hello. Patriots Ravens happened uh, no one really cares about it because Mac Jones is out for an extended period of time with a with a high ankle sprain we're gonna get to that that's gonna be the bulk of our discussion today but let's uh let's do our duty do you want to go around the league at all man you want to kind of get right into it what do you think
1: yeah let's go around the league because there are some pretty wonky things that took place uh the Broncos beat the 49ers with a score of 11 to 10. It was the second 11 to 10 score in NFL history. So that was, uh, that's wild. Uh, the high-flying Packers offense beat the high-flying Bucks 14 to 12 in what was just, uh, you know, they're missing a lot of key players. But I think the biggest game that I wanted to point at was the Dolphins. Uh, they were playing the Bills in Miami. We talked about this a little bit on the last podcast of did the Dolphins have any chance whatsoever of beating the Bills And Miami had their just like Miami magic taking place. They beat the Bills 21-19 because the Bills just flubbed it down the stretch. Uh, They got into field goal range. They weren't able to stop the clock to kick the or at least attempt the game-winning field goal. The Bills front office was just furious up high. And so they are very, very upset. There goes the chance of the Bills undefeated season. And my question to you, Alec, Dolphins 3-0. They beat the Bills. Does this tell us anything about the quality of either team or who is the front runner in the conference?
0: I don't know because you may remember last season, Rich Hill, where the bills were playing a game where weather was a huge factor. Uh, There's some starters missing, They had a few plays that didn't quite go their way, and a team that wasn't as good as them snuck away with a victory in that ridiculous Patriots game where Mac Jones only threw three passes. It seems like (laughs) extreme wind and extreme heat are real Achilles heels for this team. I do think the Bills are a better team than the Dolphins, 100%. I think in the rematch in Buffalo, Bills run away with that one. However, the Dolphins have now beaten the Patriots. All right, whatever. They've beaten the Ravens, and they've beaten the Bills, they are obviously a legitimate team. I think they were maybe underrated, underappreciated, given the Bills' kind of favorite in the AFC. But you got to give credit to the Dolphins. They're one of two undefeated teams left in the league, along with the Philadelphia Eagles. And there's no reason you shouldn't take them
1: seriously going forward. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, if you told me that Josh Allen threw for 400 yards and a couple of touchdowns, uh, and they lost to Tua Tagovailoa, who has 186 passing yards, a touchdown and a concussion, I would be like, no way, not a chance. Uh, if you told me that this would also include the Dolphins punter kicking the ball off the behind of his pump protector for a safety with uh, giving the balls back to the Bills with a minute and a half left in the game and a field goal to win it, I would say Dolphins lose that 100% of the time. Uh, the Dolphins just had some magic go their way. They, they really did. I, I, I think that they are definitely better than, uh, as you said, than what people were expecting. I don't think that they are the best team in the, the conference. I think they definitely had some fortunate bounces go their way, uh, like extremely fortunate bounces go their way, because the Bills only had one turnover, too, um, and only punted once. Like, none of this makes sense. The Bills had 40 minutes of possession. The Dolphins had less than 20. How was this the final score? I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Played his game 10 more times and the Bills win all 10, in my guess. Uh, So I I think that the Dolphins are definitely, you know, congrats to them on the win. I think they are definitely one of the better teams in a conference that, uh, as you talked about before, maybe that'll be the next game we break down. Uh, Anything can happen in the AFC uh, because any team can beat any other team. But I think that just really highlights that this conference is still open, even though there are some teams that, like the Bills, I think are the best in the, the conference.
0: Bills are still the team to beat. I still agree with that. I think I said the Patriots, the Dolphins and Bills are going to play again. The Bills are going to win that game. But uh, again, this, this AFC, I'm very excited to watch this AFC unfold because the second best team in the AFC also lost this week to the Colts. (laughs) The Chiefs dropped the game 17 to 20 to the Colts. The Colts are kind of just like one of those teams. It's like the Patriots at Miami. The Chiefs play the Colts. They just can't seem to win for whatever reason. It's that weird NFL juju at work. I never thought this would be a scenario where the Chiefs come out of there with a loss, but here we find ourselves. And the Chargers also lost to the Jaguars 38-10. to So if you're the kind of person who thinks that the AFC isn't wide open, and now that Mac Jones is out, the Patriots are totally screwed, I'd look around the league real quick and realize that, No one knows what's going on, and given the competitiveness and the tightness of this conference, uh, it's very obvious to see, to me at least, the Patriots have a legit shot to still make a postseason run if they can go like 9-8. and That might be enough this year.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think that if they can remain competitive during the time, and this is as good a segue as you're going to get into right. let's let's talk down the this Mac Jones injury. Mac Jones suffered a high ankle sprain in the the final seconds of this game against the the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he there are pictures going everywhere of him just like crying in pain, like it looked really bad uh the team player back jones very fortunate that it is just a high ankle sprain and nothing more serious uh the timelines are up in the air if he goes with the non-surgery route it's six to eight weeks for recovery if he does go the surgery route it's three to four weeks uh the team according to james stewart uh is kind of they're, they're trying to figure out which path they want to take um in my head i'd say they should just let him go the non-surgery route. No need to like rush him back until he's actually better. Uh, This player is a long, long long-term investment. And if he comes back well, uh, then, you know, you have your franchise player for the next 20 years. If you rush him back, I mean, there's just so such a long track record of players coming back too soon from injury or being forced to do, or like, you know, influenced to have surgeries done that ultimately like shortens the length of their career. So there's no need to do that in my mind. Um, But Alec, what were your thoughts when you saw Mac Jones go down with the injury? Yeah,
0: I mean, okay, my, uh, my best friend and I have a debate that there's no such thing as a triple whammy where one event screws you three distinct different ways. There are tons of double whammies, but it's hard to get the true triple whammy. However, I think I have a case now where a player, a, a franchise player, a cornerstone player, uh, throws a pick, ices the game for the other team. And blows his ankle all at once. And when that happened, I was like, this is just the absolute worst case scenario. The good news is, like you said, it's not a most likely not a season-ending industry, uh, injury, but it's just really not something you want to see. Because what's also really frustrating, not only about the Mac Jones injuries, but far first the game itself, this is yet another winnable game, in yep. my opinion, that only a few little stupid mistakes ended up costing the Patriots a couple of turnovers some dumb penalties that negotiated big plays Mac Jones still isn't making some good decisions he's not seeing linebackers in the underneath routes that throw to Devontae Parker in the end zone that's the second time that's happened now picking the end zone these are fixable mistakes these are winnable games and you're watching the Patriots have these flashes of just like dominance like Devontae Parker had some amazing catches some great throws and then they just can't close it out and they shoot themselves in the foot so just a really frustrating
1: loss all around Yeah, I totally agree. And like, there's definitely some growing pains, obviously. New offensive play caller, you know, got a lot of players, like even Devontae Parker took a couple of games to warm up. I think what, you know, they're missing Jacoby Myers, his safety blanket. Like, there are some pretty key players missing for Mac Jones. I I think my question coming out of this is like, what should the Patriots do? Say Mac Jones is out for eight weeks. Let's say that. Should they go with Brian Hoyer or should they go with with Zappi? Uh, what is the best path that they should do? Like, you know what you're getting with Brian Hoyer. You don't know what you're getting with Zappy. Can this team stay competitive in the AFC during the time that Mac Jones is out? Because in my head, you've had a breakout game from Parker. We had a breakout game from Aguilar. We know what Jacoby Myers is, can do when he's healthy. He's reliable. Stevenson Harris, they're bringing it on the ground. Uh, if they can figure out how to get born involved outside of the two minute drill, then like they have a full cohort of receivers and like, honestly, they should just go four wide because their tight ends are not doing anything for them. Uh, I, I think that there's just opportunities for them to compete with the players that they have, if they can get competent quarterback play. So what do you think the Patriots should do at quarterback?
0: You know, it's funny, Mitch. I thought this is a pretty open and shut case, but there is a lot of debate about what to do with the Patriots uh, going forward. I personally think they're going to go in-house. I know there's talk about bringing in like Blake Bortles or... No way. There's, there's a couple of quarterbacks out there who are have have starting experience, but to throw a guy in there week four against the Packers, especially, I just don't see it. They're going to go with Hoyer or Zappi. Uh, I personally think you go with Brian Hoyer. That's exactly why you brought him back. That's exactly why you signed him. He is a semi-competent backup quarterback and that's all you can really ask for you know exactly what you're getting with Brian Hoyer in both a good way and a bad way but I don't think you draft a rookie in the fourth round expecting him or wanting him to go in at any point when you have a backup ahead of him you can make the Jacoby Brissett argument that he had a couple years ago in 2016 but that was after Jimmy Garoppolo went down so starting a fourth round rookie Against the Packers, in Green Bay especially, <laughs> it would be an absolute disaster, not only for the Patriots, but it could absolutely kill his confidence. I think you go with Hoyer for the foreseeable future. Maybe you go 500 with him over the next four to six games, depending on how long Mac Jones is out, and hope Mac Jones can come back and, and make a strong
1: playoff push. So I would start Hoyer all day. Yeah, I mean, that's a sound argument. I, I think uh, based off of precedence, that's how the team has like historically done it. My question is, like, what you said of, like, you know what you're getting with Brian Hoyer. Can he capitalize on these players in the way that they need in order for the team to succeed? Meaning, how did Aguilar have his big day? It was with Mac Jones hitting him deep down the field. How did Parker have his big day? He had multiple big chunk intermediate plays, a lot of deep crossers, but also had, like, a successful back shoulder jump ball sort of a thing are those passer passes in Hoyer's arsenal? And I honestly don't know. That's the thing where it's like, I'm fine letting Hoyer take this game against the Packers. I'm fine with him letting, like having a couple of games, but I also like have no problem saying that like, okay, if Hoyer comes out for, you know, a game or two, and it's a train wreck, like if he comes out and it's like, he's, thrown completing 50% of his passes Patriots fail to break 20 points or, you know, 50, whatever it is. Like if they're coming out and like, they're just not putting it together. I have no problem throwing in the towel on Hoyer and saying, okay, well then Zappy, you go in. And if, even if Zappy does the same exact thing as Hoyer, at least like he's younger and has more upside Hoyer's 36, which, you know, for Patriots fans means that he's probably entering a second prime. So there's some hope. Uh, but I, I think in reality, I'd, I'd rather just let Zappy, uh, take his opportunities get his make his mistakes if this offense isn't coming together with Hoyer because I don't think that there's any reason to give reps to you know a, a very old veteran with no upside if it's uh what he's putting on the field is very unreliable
0: yeah I mean look there's no arguing that the upside is higher with Zappi I mean he struggled really early in the preseason by the end of the preseason he was looking pretty good it shows it a- a good learning curve. He's had a month in the system as well. So he'll probably be better than when we saw in August. Uh, I guess just the question of, do you want to kind of take the kind of high risk, high reward option? And if you look at the Patriots schedule after green Bay, I mean, I mean, green Bay would have been a loss even with Mac Jones, in my opinion. So that's kind of a wash regardless who's under center, but then they're home against Detroit. They play a very inconsistent and hard to pin down Brown's team. They play a very bad, Bears team, they're at a bad Jets team, and then they play an Indianapolis Colts team that, yes, they just beat the Chiefs, but they're not a good team. Then they have the bye, then they play the Jets. So the next seven games, I feel like those are not world beating teams. They kind of got to get into the gauntlet of the first week, a uh, first month of the schedule. Those are winnable games with a quarterback who doesn't completely screw everything up, yeah. in my personal opinion. And the quarterback that's least likely to screw everything <laughs> up as opposed to most likely to light the, light the world on fire and do well is Brian Hoyer. And so maybe if they, again, if they can get to 500, if they can win, you know, three of the next six games come into that November 13th bye and then get Mac Jones after the buy, I think they have a shot still. So I think Hoyer's the kind of the best damage
1: control option in my personal opinion. Yeah, I'm convinced I'm convinced. And like, I, I think what we were talking about before we started to record here is that this is a Patriots team that like, Is a couple of like non mistakes away from beating the Dolphins and the Ravens. Like they've been competitive in each of these games. It's just been either bad interceptions or careless carelessness with the football, just breakdowns on defense. Like there's little small things that are causing the Patriots to lose these games. They're losing on margins. And which quarterback gives them the best chance to win on the margins or at least like not hurt them on the margins, I can see that being Hoyer. You know what you're going to get. And, it, yeah, to your point, if they're able to remain competitive, the final stretch of the season is brutal. And if the Patriots can at least still be in contention by the time Mac Jones returns, uh, then who knows, maybe they'll have a chance. I, I have no belief that Hoyer would be able to lead this team to the playoffs during that final stretch. But if he can get them in a position for Mac Jones to take over – that I could see it. I could see it. Like, And also for the sake of the development of these players in this offense, you know, like we've seen, as I said, we've seen the breakout game from Aguilar and we've seen the breakout game from Parker. But what we've not seen is any consistency. We've not seen any of these players, especially from the tight end spot, like we've never not seen any of these players put together consistent games like three games in a row of them being like okay i can rely on you for this jacoby myers is the only receiver that we know what he's going to do day in day out and what quarterback sets these wide receivers and receivers up for the most success from a consistency and like you know uh, confidence building and like buying into the playbook sort of a situation it's probably hoyer hoyer is probably the one that you put in there and you're like okay well like at least we can continue to get the balls where we want it to go, even if it's a little bit more limited than with Mac Jones. And he's got, Hoyer like might make some mistakes, he might not, but at least he knows the playbook, and that way you can integrate these players further. And so hopefully by the time Mac Jones returns, all of these players are like a lot more set and hopefully consistent because that more than anything is what the Patriots need in order to compete, is having their offensive playmakers start being more consistent on a week-to-week basis.
0: Absolutely. And again, I I don't think anybody in Patriots Nation came into 2022 thinking Super Bowl, right? It's just continued development. Let the players who are with the team for the long term continue to gel and develop. Give Mac Jones another year in the system to learn and grow and get smarter and let the game slow down. We're delaying some time here. But again, luckily not season ending. So it's not like it's a total wash. Mm -hmm. And from from your point about kind of a team chemistry perspective, Uh, there are still 52 other guys in that team that need to make some money and and grow and do well. And think Hoyer gives them the best opportunity. Now, that said, your point earlier about if Hoyer was an absolute disaster and the Patriots go like 0-4 over the next four games, you want to throw Zappy in there? Like, I'm not against it. I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, they drafted him for a reason. And we kind of had some good luck in New England about a franchise quarterback (laughs) getting hurt and some late round draft pick coming in and lighting it up. So we kind of have that precedent set. And furthermore, has been proven over and over and over in the NFL. If you're a backup quarterback that has to start in relief duty and you win a game, you're going to get a big contract from some team the next year. They're (laughs) going to trade you for like a second round draft pick. So it might be some kind of long game where they get Zappy in there. He plays well against like the Lions and they trade him for a second rounder next year. That's not like a ridiculous thing to say because that's how the NFL works a lot of the way. So there are upsides to both guys. Again, I'm a Hoyer guy, but if Zappy comes in and lights it up, great. Uh, again, I just want to try and go maybe 500 in the weeks between now and mac returning, whenever that is. I'm not a medical expert, but I agree. I don't really see the need to, to rush him back for whatever reason. What's four weeks versus six weeks compared to – Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years of solid play. You don't want an RG three situation. Obviously, you need an yep. anchor or different scenarios. But I'm all for even, even if if situation where he gets IR'd and never plays a snap in 22. Whatever we have to do to maximize his health for the long term, I want them to do exactly that.
1: Yeah, because I still have confidence that he's like the franchise quarterback. Like you saw, I like some of those passes to Parker were beautiful. Like yeah. those were the ones where I was like, oh, that's the Mac Jones that they drafted. And like, if he can do that, if he can hit the Aguilar on the deep pass, if he can find yards underneath with Myers, like that is the offense. That is the offense. Cause Stevenson, Harris, the rushing game, they're great. Like, they, you know what you're getting with them. But if you have your three receivers of Parker, Aguilar, and Myers, all potential hundred yard players, like, you're good. You have your offense right there. You could put in your tight ends; they can be back to your fourth option. You could have Kendrick Bourne in or out of there, but like, if you have those top three receivers all clicking with the quarterback, and Mac Jones is the type of player that can like connect with them, you you're golden. You you have your offense that can go toe to toe with any team in the league. And so, I think Mac Jones is a quarterback capable of doing that if he's able to to limit some of his mistakes. Uh, in more of the short term, though, I, I am questioning whether or uh, (laughs) I have some gripes with this offense coming out of this Ravens games. And again, it goes back to like the play calling. Uh, I I feel like they, the, my hope is that Brian Hoyer is able to put things together for like all of these players to continue to grow. But I do have doubts that uh, Matt Patricia and the offensive coaching staff are going to be able to call plays to put them in a position to do it. Cause I kind of feel like they're like, Unnecessarily handicapping the offense a bit uh, at times. I mean, nothing was more emblematic for me than when they were called like that fourth and three play. And the call was like a screen pass, three yards shy of like the line of scrimmage and like, at Marlon Humphrey, the best defensive player on the Ravens. And like, obviously, the Patriots didn't convert. And those are the little things that I'm just like, oh, they don't, like, Patricia doesn't really understand this offense. Uh, like, there's definitely, like, it feels like there's a bunch of individual plays that are good. Like, I'm really happy that they started using those, like, deep crosser, those post routes with Devontae Parker, because, like, that's great. That Like, there were individually great plays, but I feel like uh, a lot of offense is complementary, and it still feels like there's some challenges from, like, where does, like, this play feed into this other play, and how can you use plays to set up other things? And it feels... Like there's definitely growing pains on that play calling thing, and then if you bring in a more limited quarterback and Brian Hoyer, what does that do? Like, what what does that mean for what they're going to be calling on offense, and like, how will Patricia like? Can they continue to build off of like a week by week? These plays are working. Let's build our offense, or will it continue to feel like individual plays, but now we're going to be more limited back the quarterback position? It's funny. There's a theory going
0: around. The interwebs that Matt Patricia is calling plays based on plays he got burned by as a defensive <laughs> guy. It's like these plays worked against me, so I'll call them because they'll work against other defenses. Which I mean, it's not the most crackpot theory I've heard around the Patriots. But I guess where I'm always confused about it is like they'll do things like they'll have this 36 yard. It's, 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 it's the Patriots in like a nutshell. They'll have like a 36 yard crosser, great game, beautifully set up off like two strong play action plays out of the gap scheme. And then on a legal shift penalty, we'll knock them back to 2nd and 15. Yeah. And then they'll run like a draw play on 2nd and 15 <laughs> for a one-yard loss, and it's 3rd and 16. And then they'll do like a quick out for four yards. And yep. then they'll punt like that is the Patriots offense in a nutshell. Your point about consistency is spot on. They're just really not. You're not really feeling the offense kind of building off it. One play doesn't really relate well to the next play. And when it does, when you have like two strong stretch runs to a play action, shallow crosser or like a, an out route, it works beautifully. And then they kind of abandon it. And they don't have kind of a, we're at point A in the first quarter. We want to get to point Z by the fourth quarter. I don't really feel that progression going forward. And maybe they still have growing pains. Maybe they are feeling it out. Maybe they kind of totally scrapped their offensive installations they were doing in the offseason because it wasn't working and they got to kind of start from scratch. I don't know. And the problem, Rich Hill, is that now that we have a backup quarterback in, you kind of have to scrap all that and customize your offense based on whatever his strengths are. So I don't think we'll have this offense at all figured out at any point this season. And by the time Mac Jones comes
1: back, it might be too late. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I think in my gut, like I think they're just overthinking it honestly i think that's like what it comes down to you know matt patricia the genius kind of a thing like to your exact point like they're overthinking like okay well here we'll do the draw run on second and long because it gives us an x percent chance of this and it's like well like no not really though um and like also like none of the stats say to do that so it just seems like it's just a waste of a play and i think what is that for me is like them being like okay uh, little Jordan Humphrey, you're going to be our second leading snapper at wide receiver because Jacoby Myers is out. And then when they're asked about it, it's like, well, he's a little bit of a tight end, a little bit of a wide receiver. So he lets us do things that like we can't do otherwise with either of the other players. And it's like, oh, okay, sure. But does he produce? Like, he's a fine blocker, but like, okay, what does he bring to the offense that, like, Jonu Smith doesn't? Like, okay, so he's a blocking wide receiver that, like, will force the opposing defense to go a little bit lighter so you can have more production on the ground. Sure. Um, but Kendrick Bourne is a very good wide receiver, and you're not using him. So it's just, like, I, I, it feels like uh, there's too much of an infatuation of trying to fit certain players into a mold because, like they're unique and they can present interesting matchups as opposed to using the players that are good at taking advantage of the given matchups and i would just love for them to say okay these are our really good players let's get them involved and build our offense around them as opposed to being like this is a unique player and this is like the advantage he gives us sometimes. And I, I feel like that's just a case of them overthinking it. I know Belichick does that from time to time. And it's also like super successful on defense, you know, like having the Adrian Phillips, the hybrid linebacker safety is like huge. It's a huge benefit for the defense. But on the offensive side of the thing, it just feels like you're taking a possible receiver or a possible playmaker off the field in favor of a blocker, which is fine in moderation. Uh, but when you make him your second leading snapper, it just feels like you're like, you know, playing with one hand behind your back when you're in the passing game.
0: Not only that, they tend to go away from things that are working for some. <laughs> I mean, Ramondre Stevenson averaged 6.1 yards per carry on Sunday, he got the ball 12 times. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Like every time he touched the ball, he gained positive yardage and they just wouldn't grind it out. And I don't understand why that is. You can grind it out and then set up a huge play action to Devontae Parker. That just seems to make so much sense to me. And I maybe maybe it is overthinking it. Maybe they don't want to show too much game tape too early. I don't know. Whatever it is. I, I do think they'll figure it out. I am saying that confidently. That's not a Homer pick. I don't think, I think there's, there are enough things in place that they have the pieces where they can make this work. Assuming their quarterback is in shape, but and the, also the good news is, Rich, even though it was a 37-point uh, game for the defense, I'm still very impressed with how the defense played for the most part. You can't contain Lamar Jackson forever. I feel like a lot of the errors that happened in the second half were more like sending an extra guy for some reason where Lamar Jackson just shreds, blitzes. Uh, J-Trick J- Wise is having a yeah. very vaunted sixth-year jump. I don't know exactly <laughs> what happened. Maybe, maybe being named a captain has given him extra motivation. But given that Kyle Duggar, who is arguably one of their best defensive players out yep. – Um, that they held Baltimore so many times, that the Patriots had the ball back with a chance to go ahead and take the lead so many times. This defense, uh, to the point about who's going to be quarterback, the defense can keep them in games. We've seen that. So if they can just figure out a couple things on offense,
1: they could turn some heads. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I wish that they could have done a little bit better. Like, there were some very clear breakdowns on – defense you know a lot of third down conversions for lamar jackson due to his legs but like whenever they were able to contain him in the pocket they did a great job i thought dietrich wise uh is i mean obviously three sacks on the day and an extra tackle for loss he's been a monster out there for them this year who knew that this was coming uh i'm very happy (laughs) like i've always thought wise was like a good player but he was like never able to pull it together but there was no reason he couldn't be as good as trey flowers uh and he's like his wingspan is preposterous. He's pulling it all together. I'm so happy for him. Uh, my, Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with this defense is that, A, they miss Kyle Duggar. And Duggar, for my mind, like this game really showed that uh, he's probably the best player on this defense. If not the best, and definitely the most important. Uh, because, uh, you know, love McCourty, Patriot Hall of Famer. He's had an amazing career. I think he's still great as a back-end safety they asked him to replace Kyle Duggar as uh, the tight end defender, and he was just torched by Mark Andrews. He mm-hmm. had nothing that he could do to defend him. It was, it was rough watching him out there in that position. Uh, I was actually kind of like, they, they needed to pull that plug quicker because McCourty was just getting mossed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I I think just showing that like, okay, Duggar has a skill that the other players can't replicate. He would have been responsible for covering Mark Andrews. There would have been a positive like trickle down effect for ensuring that like Lamar Jackson didn't leave the pocket. Um, and uh, I, I think just like the two keys that the Patriots had to do on defense was keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket and also cover Mark Andrews. Those were the only two things that they needed to do to succeed. And they weren't able to do it. Uh, and that was the ball game. Uh, and, and I think that missing Duggar was, you know, the entire linchpin in their defensive ability to do it, not even just their game plan, but their ability to do it. And with him sideline, they just didn't have the talent. No, they didn't. I think Kyle Duggar was my X factor on our
0: Thursday podcast for all those reasons. He's going to miss time. What? How are they going to replace him? And they just can't. Some people you just can't replace from a pure athletic perspective. And he would have been that robber slash spy guy that maybe kept Lamar Jackson from gaining a hundred and whatever yards he gained on the ground, Um, 107 yards total, which is a wild number for a a quarterback. That's what he does, right? That's what Lamar Jackson does. That's why he's making, I think he's in the front runner for MVP so far through this early point of the season. It's kind of a three-horse race, but we'll see what happens with them. Again, not the biggest deal that they lost. I think a lot of people had this down as a loss regardless. Uh, You and I both picked the Patriots to win. We both thought there'd be like a hangover from the Miami loss not so much the case. Could have been a Patriots win, but it wasn't. The big story, of course, is Mac Jones. We are moving on. We are monitoring that ankle injury very closely. He'll, he's out this week regardless. We'll see what they do. We'll see where they're starting a quarterback. Um, any early thoughts on the Packers, Rich? Or You want to save that for Thursday.
1: <laughs> uh, this is going to be an interesting game because I think that the Packers – are uh hit or miss uh you know they only put up 14 points this week against the the bucks uh but they put up 27 against the bears the week before so i'm not really sure what to expect from them you know they lost to the vikings in week one they have a strong rushing game aaron Rodgers is aaron Rodgers, but they're trying to figure out who they are in the passing game they have some depth ability but also like they're trying to find their identity as well um so not sure. Uh, they they are just very much hit or miss. I think they have some good players on defense. Brian Hoyer uh, or whoever is under center will definitely have their hands full. Um, I think we'll break more of that down on Thursday. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's tough to see Mac Jones go down like that. I think that if he was at the helm, the Patriots have a very good chance to, to beat the Packers. Now I don't feel as great about that. Um, but, you know, it, despite the loss, I do think that we've seen enough positives from individual contributors on offense over the first three weeks. That makes me think that there's hope for this passing attack. So long as they're able to find that cohesion and consistency, uh, I'm over expecting anything from these tight ends. Like I've thrown in the towel, trade them, trade them before the deadline. Like there's nothing that these tight ends are bringing to this team that someone off the street wouldn't be able to do. It's like shocking to me, like how inefficient they've been at both blocking and receiving. Uh, And I know we're what, 20 weeks into this experiment, but like it's, it's been like just very unsuccessful Uh, and the players that are stepping up uh are the wide receivers which is something that hasn't been the case in a couple of years and so I want to give those wide receivers as much opportunity as possible if they go four wide with the running back uh I would be thrilled against the Packers you know like let Parker if Myers is healthy Aguilar and Bourne all take the field and then have Stevenson or Harris in the backfield go spread go full wide bring back that 2007 Patriots offense do that uh because uh you know, I know we talked about bringing up who watch. Uh, I, I think that we've just need to lean into the successes of this team. And there's been a lot, there's been a lot of successes. And I'm hoping that Mac Jones can recover and continue to be a part of that success later in the year.
0: As do I, my man. But again, no point prognosticating. Time will tell. I'm not a doctor. Just, you don't go getting hurt, Rich. If you, <laughs> if you're out for a couple of weeks, I can't handle this one on my own. So uh, please tape, keep yourself healthy because nobody wants the Alex Shane show. And Pat's Pulpit Nation. So, whatever you have to do to keep yourself upright, <laughs> uh, please do
1: it. All right. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, man. See ya. later.